And once again, it's a summer ending in farewell. Once again, I'm saying goodbye to Ben. But I can't say once again, my heart is breaking. In fact, since last week, I don't even feel like I still have a heart. I feel somewhat disconnected from all that. I just need to safely see Ben off to his new home in Israel, as per the written decree of New York State. During the last few days, I've been rather calm about it. That's all I need to do. I still have hours to go. I'm in the old brick row house in Queens, where I was born and raised. There are people everywhere. I'm in the center, and yet I don't feel like I'm there at all. And suddenly I recall something. When I was young, there was a TV repair shop called Culligan's a few blocks away. And of course, it's long gone now because who the hell repairs televisions in 2014? But the place sported a large neon sign out front with those nine letters, C-U-L-L-I-G-A-N-S, lighting up the boulevard in bright red lights. Except the funny thing was, for years, the G was in disrepair. It neither lit up completely nor darkened entirely. Every night, year after year, you could see the other eight letters shining brightly well into the night. But the G would sputter and blink and gasp. The gases inside even gave off an odd, constantly hornet-like buzzing. Now I'm that faulty G. I'm here amidst other bright lights, but I'm sputtering into dimness. And I want time to move into reverse, to when I, not Ben, was the child. A time with no cell phone stores or tanning salons, no bottled water or sea salt or red velvet cake, no online unfriending, when tattoos were primarily found in carnivals, when there were typewriters and phone booths and flip tops on cans, telephones with cords to unravel, cars with vent windows bent back, TVs with rabbit ear antennas pointing toward the Empire State Building. I breathe deep and try to be strong. The people who love me the most are in full celebratory mode. My mother even skipped mass at St. Rita's this morning to help Katie and Chris decorate the entire first floor. The theme is blue and white, punctuated by plastic Israeli flags and stars of David throughout the living room. It's a new and hybrid holiday with blue and white noisemakers, blue and white streamers, blue and white confetti. A banner is strung over the fireplace. Mazel tov, Ben! There are platters and bowls and dishes from Ben's Best, the kosher deli up on Queens Boulevard. Of course, this pleases my son no end, Ben's Best. And the airport he'll be flying to is Ben Gurion. Earlier this afternoon, I helped him count the toothpicks holding up the colored cellophane wrappings on the meats. Katie continually refills baskets with blue corn chips and blue potato chips. Chris has set up a karaoke machine, and Tommy's daughters Liz and Kelly are singing with her, but although I'm staring from about 15 feet away, I can't understand the song. Sam and Deborah are here, as are Mo and Elliot. I hear Sam and Mo comparing and contrasting Teterboro and LaGuardia, which should interest me, but I walk away. Elliot rubs Deborah's tummy, which seems odd, but maybe isn't. 
The door opens, and my brother Kevin arrives straight from his summer pad in Sag Harbor. He's accompanied by a beautiful young woman, and I smile and shake her hand. Everyone says she looks amazingly like Jennifer Lawrence, a point made so often they start calling her J-Law, and now I'm even further confused. The twins and Rosemary came here with Terry, the co-owner of Moltar Construction, along with Terry's wife, Joe, and their two kids, TJ and Ellie. That's because Tommy drove to Brooklyn to pick up the man sitting in the far corner. My mother said Tommy laid out the ground rules before they even left the VA. No nastiness, no cracks, no bullshit of any kind, or this will be the last day pass he'll ever get, and the only sunshine he'll see will be the benches outside Fort Hamilton. And so, my father mingles with gays, lesbians, African-Americans, single parents, and a Muslim comedian, all to celebrate a three-year-old Jewish guest of honor. But clearly, he took Tommy's warning seriously. He smiles and chats with anyone walking by, nurses his solo cup of juice, and even claps along to Hava Nagila. My mother's in the kitchen, frying up dozens of homemade latkes as appetizers, and heating knishes and kosher pigs in blankets. She offers me a latke in a napkin, but I shake my head. I haven't eaten since yesterday. Rosemary arranges blue and white serving trays, and now I see Ben helping his aunt count as well. Grandma said 20. Joe dishes applesauce. Sour cream isn't an option in this house. Terry and Tommy take turns behind the bar, serving up everything from booze to wine to juicy juice. The phone rings, and it's my last surviving sibling, Kerry, down in Florida, calling to wish Ben safe travels. Sam borrows the karaoke microphone from Chris and then announces he's written fresh material just for tonight's occasion. The women leave the kitchen and crowd in to watch. Katie hands me a Pepsi, but I don't drink. Thank you, folks. Thanks very much. Sam points at Ben, eagerly sitting puppy fashion on his knees up front. You, sir, we've never met before, have we? Ben giggles into the microphone, and it echoes inside my head. Sam holds up the plastic shofar Chris found at Party City. Can you tell me, sir, what is this object? Ben pipes up without the microphone. It's a shofar. TJ and Elliot and the twins repeat, shofar, shofar. Sam nods dramatically and inspects the plastic horn. I see, he says finally. Well, that explains it. A man came up to me before and said, Shofar, show good. There's lots of laughter, but to me it doesn't sound like laughter. I pull out a dining room chair, even though the table is being used as the buffet. I rest my head in my hands. Although I'm staring at carpet, I can feel others in the room glancing my way. I breathe deep and look up. I hear Kevin warn Sam not to tell the one about celebrating in the back of the limousine by blowing not the shofar, but the chauffeur. Someone yells out, There's kids here! But Kevin laughs, and J-Law playfully slaps his thigh. Then Katie slaps his other thigh. Sam's back in control. Hey, Kevin! I do a solo, seriously! No, no, seriously! I kid the Jewish people, but it's out of love! 
love. After all, they have the best tailors in the world. They're the only ones we use for washing and ironing the dish towels on our heads. We tore up the contract with five Chinese brothers way back in 1400 AD. I can hear my father guffawing at that one. Sam has gotten serious. Or maybe not. It isn't that the room is spinning. It feels more like I'm spinning. My senses send false signals, like in a poorly made 1960s avant-garde film, fisheye camera lenses substituting for an acid trip. But I can hear Sam. Ben, we want to wish you lots and lots of luck in your new home. We can't wait to see you when you return. And I hope when you get back, you're still not writing 5774 on your checks. There are giggles and groans. Saw that coming, says Terry. Sam wraps it up. Thank you, folks. I love you, Queens. I love you, Ben. I see him hug my son. My mother says something about the soup being on, though, of course, there's no soup. They're shuffling and stretching. I can hear Terry drop ice into solo cups. It's a scene entirely manufactured by love, and I know the brain has more layers than that blue and white cake on the dining room table. I know I'm lucky to have a son, family, friends. The popular term now is privileged. I know all this, and yet none of it matters. It truly doesn't. Not in this moment. Not anymore. I can't evaluate or calculate or weigh and consider and adjudicate with the coldness of a Judge Rhonda Westfall. I've crossed over to where reason can't stand its ground and love can't save. Right now, I feel anything but lucky, because knowing I'm loved does nothing at all to prevent me from considering what I contemplated last night at La Garbage as I stared up the Hudson River toward the Tappan Zee Bridge and imagined outstretched arms as I plunged. There's a general movement towards the Ben's best trays and the salads and the rolls piled high on the table, and I move in the opposite direction, away from them all, away from the guest of honor, away from all that love. I stumbled toward the narrow front hallway, where we always forgot to take off our snow boots after making igloos and forts, where my mother hung her Cade Mila Falta plaque, where my father yelled at us to close the goddamn door because he wasn't paying Con Ed to heat all of goddamn Queens. And once again, I forget to close that goddamn door. I make it to the stoop and lean over and heave. But I haven't consumed anything in 20 hours, and whatever's in my stomach remains there. My legs finally give, and I slump onto the bottom step. I lean forward, and it begins. I'm sobbing and banging my fist on brick. I punch, and I sob, and I punch, and I sob. The safe arrival of flight LY-8 in Tel Aviv tomorrow morning seems far away. Someone has opened the screen door and is standing behind me. My guess is Katie. Maybe my mom. Maybe even Sam. Instead, I feel strong arms on my shoulders and realize it's my older brother. For long moments, we don't speak. I can't do it. I can't do it. 
Sure you can, Mike. I can't say goodbye. You will. He knows you're the rock. He worries about her. Worries she's never coming back. He can't count on her. He never worries about you. You're the rock. More long moments pass. I'm going to die, Tommy. No. I am. He'll be with her. He'll be okay. But I'm going to die from all this. No, you're not. If you didn't have him, maybe. Maybe you would die. But you do have him. So dying's not an option. I can't do it. You'll do it, Mikey. And now our neighbor Jackie is standing on the sidewalk in front of us. I love you, Tommy. I love you, Mike. Tommy waves and responds softly. I love you, Jackie. Now those strong arms help lift me to my feet, and my brother walks me back in. My mother pretends to be slicing sour pickles, but she's really looking at her middle son in the hallway. Then she crosses to me, holds up my bloody knuckles, and bends to gently kiss them. She's humming, Love Me Do. I move back into the living room. Katie makes eye contact and smiles at me, and I see she's been crying as well. Ben has his ear pressed against Debbie's tummy, but he can't hear the baby. Then she gives him a copy of Oh, the Places You'll Go, and asks Ben if she and Sam can come visit him. He nods enthusiastically and tells her, You can come with my daddy. He always visits me. Every place. He always comes. Someone tells me, Grab the roast beef before it's gone, but I still can't eat. I move with a tight and false smile on my face, and then I feel a tender pat on my shoulder, and I turn. It's my father. I look at him, but neither of us speaks. Time passes. The cake is cut, and we're all singing to Ben, and though I don't know what we're singing, we're calling him a fellow. Rosemary and Joe are passing out blue and white cups of coffee. Gifts are unwrapped. There's a line for the downstairs bathroom. The twins cuddle up on the sofa. Ben yawns. He's going to be on a red eye out of JFK in just a few hours. And now the doorbell rings, even though the front door is open. Tommy says, I got it. I see the pantomime of him shaking hands with Rabbi Cohen and the sweep of my brother's arm as he invites him in. The broad smile and quick wave in return indicates the car is double parked or they're running late. Everyone is standing now, and Ben is being hugged and hugged and hugged. His loved ones fall in line, even J-Law. Grandpa Tom kisses his forehead, and Katie openly cries. Grandma Eileen is last, and after she straps on his knapsack, he throws both arms tightly around her. He looks neither happy nor sad. I've seen that look before. I'm in the hallway with my hand outstretched. Ben grabs it, and we take the stoop slowly and walk toward where the Chrysler is in fact double parked with flashers on. I stop in front of old Mrs. Bloom's house and squat down. My face is buried in his shoulder, and tears are flowing down both my cheeks. 
I know I'm speaking. Wishing him safe travels. Telling him I'll see him soon. Expressing love that can't ever be expressed. I know this, but I don't know what I'm actually saying. Now Jackie is standing near us in the dark. I love you, Mike. I love you, Benji. We both tell him we love him, and he hugs Ben goodbye. Just as I stand, we hear someone yell, Bennington! Katie runs barefoot down the sidewalk, and when she reaches us, she pulls something from behind her back. Ben smiles, finally, and grabs dog. Jackie speaks up. I love you, Katie. Your red hair is pretty. She hugs him. I love you, Jackie. I wish every person in this whole wide world was just like you. Jackie blushes. At the car, I nod at Rabbi Cohen, who's behind the wheel and babbling about the Mets pitching. She's seated in the back next to the car seat and then steps onto the sidewalk. Ben hugs her, stops, turns, then hugs me. I help him off with the knapsack and buckle him in. Ben is tired, but he smiles at me. How many days till I see you, Daddy? Twenty-two, buddy. I know now I won't make it. I'm not saying goodbye for good. After I straighten up, she moves awkwardly around me. Then she sees I'm crying, and she seems genuinely surprised by it. But ultimately, she says nothing. As she buckles up, I lean through the window and whisper, his last name doesn't have a hyphen. And now something occurs that has never occurred. This brave little man, with more than three years of farewells under his belt, gives in to his massive grief. He yells, Daddy! And now he's sobbing as well. Out in the street, I pull and pull on the rear door handle until finally the rabbi hits the power locks. Once inside, I awkwardly hug Ben in his car seat and whisper over and over again, Shh, it'll be fine. I'm coming soon. I'll see you soon. Everything's going to be fine, buddy. She stares out her side and doesn't speak. I don't know how long it takes until Ben stops crying, but I convince him, and possibly myself, that I will see him in three weeks. Now I'm back on the sidewalk, waving cheerfully and watching the huge Chrysler push away. They leave, and I retreat to the home of my childhood. Inside, there are tears and harsh words away from the ears of the kids. But I'm immune to it all. I barely say goodbye to my friends and family and accept hugs woodenly. Finally, I stretch out on the sofa where we spent idle days as kids when we were sick. It's not sleep, but something like sleep overtakes me, my mother rocking nearby. I hope rest brings strength. Grandpa Al has one thing to do, and it's early afternoon when he finally does it. Phone beeps, and I retrieve an email from Rabbi Al1937 at AOL.com. They have indeed arrived safely in Tel Aviv. We researched it recently and found Aviv is Hebrew for spring and symbolizes renewal. Ben has started his new life at his new home in Israel. Now, as always, I have to remain strong.